Welcome again, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights, show about cards, trying to cover topics that aren't frequently discussed. Today's topic is going to be, what would the ideal card shop look like? First, a thank you to our sponsors, two of whom are actually card stores, card shops. But Beckett Media, BGS, BAS, uh, Burbank Sports Cards, outstanding shop, as well as Mike Stadium Sports Cards. So we'll talk about them today. But we also have ComC. We also have Heritage Auctions, as well as Huggins & Scott Auctions, and our three major card companies, Panini, Tops, and Upper Deck, in alphabetical order. So what does the ideal card shop look like? My guest, my frequent guest, my very popular guest is Rich Klein, longtime friend and colleague. Rich, what do you notice when you walk through the door of a card shop or a card store that makes you think, boy, this is going to be great? I think it's a mix of everything. You know, when we talk about Bravirus, the one thing with Burbank is organization, organization, organization. I know if I go to Burbank, and I remember I called him three, four years ago, and he had just filled an order for 400 Alex Cora cards. Whoever thought about buying those Alex Cora cards must have been very prescient because he became the World Series manager and won a World Series with the Red Sox in his first year as manager last year. So whoever bought those cards was very smart. And those aren't 400 different, but... They were 400 different. No way. They were 400 different. No way. Something like that. It was a huge order. I don't think he has 400 He may not have different. 400. It was close. Whatever he had. But the problem, you know, the, you said it's organization, organization. The, the three rules of real estate are location, location, location. And location is the secret for Rob out there. He knows where they are. They're organized. He knows where to look. I had a card shop in the 70s, and basically a particular card that we had, and we had a lot of cards, could be any one of five places. And hopefully not five different prices, but five different places. And if it was sold out in one area, then it, it might be in the other. And I think Rob is, has figured out how to organize and locate the cards. So you say, I want this, and it's not going to take him all day to pull 400 cards of, of Alex Cora. And you want us to let... He threw some Joey Cores in there, too, maybe. I'm sure he did. Okay. Joey, yes. And Joey is Alex's brother, so that would have been a really cool combo. Uh, and you also want to have a combination of unopened product, old and new. You need the new material for people who come in the door, <clears throat> and you want some older material, both from the overproduced era and just some of the tougher, older wax as well, or older cellos or older racks. So you have interesting things for people to buy. You want to have showcase of interesting cards. You want to have a wall display of, it could be bobbleheads. I, I went into a new store in Frisco uh, on Thursday, and he had basically a wall full of bobbleheads and other of the box items, and those are really cool. Those are good for the non-collectors. So you also have to have material for collectors and non-collectors. I agree. Uh, I, I, in, in my ideal card store, there's not gold and silver and coins or stamps. Uh, there's probably not comic books either, although some, car, some stores really got off the ground by, by uh, straddling that. There's probably not a lot of souvenirs and things like that, although, again, that for the casual fan or casual collector to pick up a T-shirt or, or a, a, a cap or something. I, I don't have a big problem with that, but I'm kind of all about the cards. You know, but it's funny. One of my absolutely favorite card stores I've ever been in, and it's not really competition to Mike other than it's in the Denver area, is Bill Weiss's sports collectible store. And 75% of his store is naps, is, is let's call it tourist based, you know, where it's uniforms and caps and all that stuff. And 25% can be really cool cards. Now, in our ideal store, we probably want it 90 10, but there's nothing wrong. Yeah. With having some of that, so if, if a mom comes in buying for her 
son or a wife comes in for a husband or a husband coming in for the wife, because sometimes the women are collectors, so we don't want to slight them in any way, is, hey, this is something cool that looks good on your wall. Well, I've known Bill for a long time, and he's a sharp guy. And so if that's what he's doing, it must be working. And you have to know your area. You have to know your clientele. But he's if, if he's been around as long as I know he's been around, because I've I, I don't see him frequently. I see him, you know, mainly at nationals now. When if we bump into each other, but uh, the Denver area is a is a professional sports town now. But I love Mike Fruitman. You know, I've never been to the store, but I think I would love going there just for the experience. I think it is an experience. I think it's active rather than passive. And there's always seems, and I call it like, and I'm going to use a phrase that's not exactly true. So forgive me for bringing this up, but Huey Long in the 1930s had this slogan: "Every man's a king." Well, in Mike Fruitman's store, every day is a party. Well, let's have a reason to come in. Let's either if I'm selling some stuff I just got in today, so let's let's enjoy it. I have an autograph signing. I have door prize drawings. I have. How about, how about Pack Wars? Is he is he the modern day Alan Nars? He is, I don't think he does Pack. I've never seen an ad for him doing Pack Wars, but maybe he realized that doesn't work for him. Well, it, it, I think there's problems with the hearing loss sometimes <laughs> when I've been around those Pack Wars. I'll tell you, those Pack Wars can be exciting. Very I mean, intense. You know, and. Uh, I have not seen, but Mike advertises he's very much into social media. And Absolutely. That's, that's something else that an active store has to do is come up with ways to publicize themselves outside traditional, the traditional ways. And Mike is really good at that. And that's another part of the ideal store in that we, you know, they publicize the hobby in a very, pub, in a very positive manner. Well, Rob Veris is trying to get repeat business. And he's doing it by having what people want, and he's aggressively pricing things based on if he has a lot of something. He has, he has his own formulas. Mike Fruitman, my sense is that when somebody comes into his store, to some degree he wants them to not take advantage of him, but to have a good deal and to have a good experience. And that, that makes it fun because, after all, if, you, if you've got a recurring customer and you make a little bit each time, that's better than having somebody that you 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 take advantage of and you get one score and then they're gone. In fact, they can be gone from the whole industry. So guys like Rob and Mike, who are, they're actually helping everybody by providing the service they do. Right. In and, their and the other part, and I've mentioned this in my column for GTS, one of the things with ideal card stores is to pay fairly when a customer of yours comes in with items to sell. Now, if all they're bringing in are really cold players, that's one thing, but we want to, we want to make sure that the customers have a soft landing if and when they have to sell something. You know, we it's, want... a, it's a chicken and egg problem, but basically, if you look at the strong years in the in the industry in the hobby, they were years that that were marked by uh, strong liquidity, that there was active buying and selling, and so when dealers, I don't know if they realize this, maybe it was just the the, the circumstances at the time, but when you stop buying uh, their collections, they start they stop buying your cards. There needs to be this this uh, this this fluidity. So, uh, but again, there's. There's no shortage of cards to be bought. There's probably a shortage of the good cards, the cards that are in high demand. Those aren't necessarily the cards that people bring in. And yet you talked about that, but Rob, during the baseball strike and hockey lockout of 94-95, said he bought more cards than ever before because he knew at some point it wasn't going to last forever. And he had been building his business where he could survive because he had already become Mr. Organization. And there's a lot to be said for that. As you said, it's location, location, location. And I want to shout out to his son, Ryan, as well. Ryan has returned a retail element to Burbank, which is really cool. You, for a while, Rob just went to the warehouse only aspect, and Ryan has brought back a retail element. So you come in, you can actually see the cards you want, you know, in some cases, see the cards you're buying. I, 
I think that's an excellent idea. And I think that was, again, this is a wonderful multi-generational hobby. I knew, <laughs> I didn't know Rob's dad was, is a, is a, is a, is an amazing guy too. So the apple doesn't far, fall, fall far from the tree. But do you think there's a problem if you walk into a store and you see something on the wall and you say, wow, I really like that. And they say, oh, that's not for sale. Would that bother you? Yes and no. Because it's cool to have a display piece. On the other hand, the item might be, hey, this is a one-of-a-kind item. I like showing this. I like showing this old item because it may get me other old items to come in the door. There were dealers I know who, and their showcase will, will feature some older cards just to try to say, okay, maybe somebody's walking around with older cards to sell me, or I'm going to bring these publications. Somebody says, I've got these old publications at home. You know, do you want them? And, you know, the publication mar market has really gotten depressed. But I found way back in the day when I did the Albany show, I could, it was so cheap for the tables, I could do publications like 25% of the time. And sure enough, on the ones I brought publications, well, do you want to buy these? I bought a lot of cool books and publications by being the guy with that for sale at the show. So it bothers me on one level. But on another level, if it's a way to try to get interest to have people bring you similar type items, I get it. And it's, it's acceptable on that level. What uh, I'm thinking of a card store that I really enjoyed, but I don't think other people enjoyed it at the same level. And that was the the original sports collector store that Pat Quinn. And I Einstein never went had. into that store. And it was when you walked in, if you didn't love cards and know what you're looking for, you'd think this is. It was just it had two long counters and like uh, shelves behind it with a bunch of 800 count boxes. No, dis I don't remember any display or any 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 color of any kind, but. You'd ask for a box, they'd bring it down. They had this amazing purchase that they had made that's a subject of another long story where they traded one small rare set for like a million cards that were all in probably mint condition in the truest sense because they were they were from vending. And well, they would let people come in and the prices were set, but not based on condition. It was commons in this set are a dollar, commons in this set are a buck and a quarter. And they used to have people come and just look for the perfect centering, the razor sharp edges. Again, this is a very long time ago, but they, so they were no frills, perfect organization. And they, they did well for a long time. And then I don't think, I I think they ran out of the best stuff. I don't think I would have enjoyed that store because I think it would have been, hey, there's nothing interesting to bop around. <laughs> when I went to Chicago, I always went to Audrey Gold's store. Well, that's hey. at the other end of the spectrum. No organization. More than or, you think. Well, they had the a lot of organizations. Piles. piles. But they were getting so much material in, they couldn't get through and organize everything. And when they couldn't get through and organize everything... I would, you know, I'd go up there maybe once every six months, once every eight months, and it was a pretty much a guarantee, okay, ship me back $100 worth of stuff for the company. I, it was almost a lock that no matter what, I'd end up at $100. I popped in there a few times when I was in uh, Chicago, and, you know, that was a family deal, you know, from Eddie and Audrey to their, to their sons, and, and uh, it was a, it was a, a kind of a throwback experience. And I, and I loved being in there. It was so, it was so much fun just seeing all the weird things they had. And they, as I said, they acquired so much material. It was, it was pretty amazing. You said they, they were actually having the problem. They were getting more stuff in than they could handle. Okay, here's another one that you probably won't like then. That was, again, very, very well organized. Larry Fritch. I've actually never been to the Larry okay. Fritch location. Okay, it's hardly even called a store. It was more of a barn, but he did have some stuff. But he had amazing stuff from vending from the early days of top sending him stuff from his, his business. So it was kind of a store and kind of a what he shipped out of. And it was one of the wonders of the collecting world just to see these valuable 
boxes of, of, of cards, unopened or untouched kinds of things. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. I'm told he kept a lot of stuff really in barrels. And it was kind of, you know, he'd just pull out some random barrel. Oh, oh, this one has this, 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 and this. Oh, okay, really nice. Oh, this has this, this, and this. Really cool. It probably wasn't a store for the average person, but it's probably more of a store for, you know, you and I to walk into, especially if you knew what you were doing. Well, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed uh, visiting with Larry and Jeff, his son, and they were very knowledgeable and, you know, big kind of gruff guys, but but uh, teddy bears too. So yeah, well, they, they both had, are gone too soon. And they're soon. both of, yeah, we maybe should talk about that at some point. But there are a bunch of other good stores out there over the years. Uh, the longevity of stores is, it's it's hard to keep a, a store open a lot. Well, and you just came today from... Uh, Nick's right, and they were and Nick and Debbie year Red, right. Nick and Debbie Redwine sold the store a couple of years ago, and the owner has actually expanded it, made made it a lot a lot of fun, taking it to places where Nick and Debbie hadn't even thought of going before, and it was fun seeing Nick and Debbie saying, you know, our dream has gotten even better. You know, it's like I never thought we could get, we never thought it could get a bigger location that would work. So he took Dean, the owner, took the idea and ran with it and has made it even more impressive. Well, uh, there's some great stores out there. Rob Veris, Mike Fruitman, hats off to you, Nick Redwine, and Debbie as well. Uh, we're out of time. We're trying to do 15-minute episodes. There's more meat on the bone, but we'll, we can deal with this topic uh, again in the future. Uh, if you've got questions or comments, you can send them to Beckett Interests, I mean Beckett Insights at gmail.com. But thanks for your attention today. Thanks, as always, Rich, for uh, uh, batting these things around enjoyably, and, and uh, we'll... Uh, we'll do another episode tomorrow. Thanks. Sounds like a plan. Right.